while you were folding episode 11, How We Sabbath. Hi, I'm Catherine Boucher, and you're listening to While You Were Folding. This show is my weekly excuse to talk about my favorite things. Marriage, parenting, faith, friendship, culture, what I'm reading and watching, and whatever else strikes my fancy. I've been a wife for 10 years and a mother for eight. I won't pretend to be an expert. I will introduce you to some amazing guests, ask a whole bunch of questions, invite you into the conversation, and encourage you to share what you heard while you were folding. Let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, I am recording this episode at the end of an awesome Sabbath. Thank you for the gift of rest, for the gift of family, and the opportunity to reconnect. Please help us to learn why it is that you ask all of us to take a Sabbath, why it's not just something to give honor and praise to you, but that it's good for us, and that it's how you made us, and that we need this time so greatly, especially in this frantic culture that we're living in right now. Help us to be recommitted to the goal of rest, to be reconnected to you, to give you worship and praise on this day, and also to love the people that you've put into our lives, and to help them to feel that they have priority week in and week out. We ask this through your name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so before I jump into the Sabbath discussion and uh, letting Jane come on and give you a little recap of her first confession, I thought I'd just tell you a little bit about what we've been up to around here. Um, We had an awesome meeting with our God teens last Wednesday. We only have a couple of months left with our God teens since they're going to be graduating from high school here in a couple of months. It's hard to believe we're already at the end of our time with them, but we had a great activity on Wednesday. I came up with, I called it a spiritual inventory, and I can actually post a link to that in the show notes in case any of you are involved with youth ministry. It was basically like a questionnaire to get a sense of where the teens are right now with their faith experience and how they feel about a bunch of different issues. And some were some basic statements, like, for example, the church hates those with same-sex attraction. And they were asked to respond to each statement on a scale of one to five, five being strongly agree, one being strongly disagree, three being neutral, etc. And it really helped Philip and I to get a better sense of where they are with things and what big questions and issues they're still working through that they want to be able to discuss with us in these last few months. But the biggest thing that we talked about is getting them to start realizing that they're going to be leaving the Catholic bubble that they've been surrounded by all these years in grade school and high school. And now that they're going to be going off, whether they go to college or community college, or they are going right into the workplace, just the realization that faith isn't necessarily going to be something that's built into their day because they won't have mom and dad taking them to mass every Sunday any longer. 
and that realization that the faith is really going to be something that they need to take ownership over. So yeah, it opened up this great discussion and we really enjoyed it. And then we got to play this awesome new game that I have to tell you about. This thing is, I think, Philip's and my favorite obsession that we tell everyone about every time we see someone. <laughs> so many thanks. All of the credit goes to my dear friend, Brianna, who was the first guest that I had on the podcast. Brianna introduced us to this game. It's called Chameleon, and I'm going to try my best to explain how to play. It's a little bit complicated without having all of the cards in front of you. And I'm a visual learner, so if you're anything like me, you're going to have to just look it up. (laughs) And maybe I'll link to a YouTube video that explains it really well. But the gist of Chameleon is you get a group of people, and at a minimum you can have three, but I think it's a lot more fun the more people you have. And they recommend that the age of the participants, they have to be at least 14. Um, although I haven't looked really closely through all the cards. I don't think there was anything terribly risque. I think the reason that you need someone who's older is so that they have a breadth of knowledge enough to be able to be familiar enough with the people that are in the different categories. I don't think it's necessarily because of anything inappropriate. I'm going to try attempting how to explain this game without making it too complicated. The gist is this. A chameleon operates by trying to camouflage itself by changing the color of its skin so that it is camouflaged with its natural surroundings. That's where this game gets its name. So you're all sitting around in a circle and you have a stack of cards and a pair of dice and you roll the dice and the dice has one of them has letters on it. The other one is a traditional dice that has the numbers and everyone gets a card passed around to them. And your card either says a numeric grid that goes with the dice, with the letters and the numbers, or your card says, you are the chameleon. So everyone's looking at their card. And then the person who rolled the dice looks at the theme card and says, the theme is celebrities. And then you look at the dice to see what the letter and the number are. And you look at your numeric grid card that you've been given to see who the celebrity is. So I look at my card and if it was A4, I check the coordinates and it lines up and the celebrity is Jay Leno. So then everyone's going to go around in the circle giving a one word clue to describe Jay Leno without saying Jay Leno. And you go around and the chameleon who does not have the coordinates, they have no idea that it says Jay Leno. They just know that they're supposed to give a clue about a celebrity of some sort. And so then you start with the first person who rolled the dice and they might say, late show host. And then the next person says, chin. And then the next person says, comic. And then it goes on and on and on. And the chameleon has still no idea that it's Jay Leno, but they're trying to use their context clues to fit in, to camouflage themselves within the group so as not to stand out. Everyone goes around the circle to say their one word clue or phrase to describe the celebrity. And then after you've gone around, you try to determine based on who gave the worst clue or who seemed to have no idea what was going on, (laughs) because the chameleon should have no idea what's going on. 
to guess who the chameleon was and you vote and it's hilarious. And the more people you have, the more difficult it gets. Because as you can imagine, there are only so many descriptors you could do to say who Jay Leno is. So if you're playing with eight people, by the time you're getting to the end, whether or not you're the chameleon, you might look like a moron <laughs> because you have no idea what to say. So I hope I explained this game sufficiently to give you an idea of how much fun it is. It's hilarious. We love it. And I hope you'll consider playing it because we have had so much fun with it. This was the first weekend we've had in a really long time to truly rest and recharge. As you might remember, I mentioned in the last episode that Philip has either been working the last couple of weekends or we have had illness. And this weekend, we had neither. It was amazing. We had um, a few invitations to a couple of women's ministry things and other stuff going on. But we were pretty ruthless in our commitments because we know we knew that this was going to be our first chance that we've had in a really long time to just hang out and have some downtime. And so while we did not do all that much, it was pretty awesome. And that inspired the topic for today's podcast. But before I get to talking about Sabbath and how our family Sabbaths, I thought I would invite Jane to come on and give us a recap of what her experience was like in receiving her first confession. Here's Jane. I know we have a couple of listeners who aren't Catholic, or maybe some of you have to think way, way back about what your first reconciliation, also known as your first confession, was like. So I thought I'd bring Jane on the show today and we'd talk about what her experience was like. Now, she had to wait a little bit extra to get her first confession, because what happened on the morning of your scheduled first confession? Do you remember? It was Saturday, but there was a big ice storm. That's right. So we had to get it canceled and reschedule for the next Wednesday. And that happened to be Daddy's birthday too, right? Yep. So that was a big celebration day. So after school on a Wednesday, I got to come up to school to be with Jane. Mm -hmm. And the day began, the celebration began with some readings. You had a special reading. You were one of the readers at the beginning. Yep. And then after that, everyone got to file out to go in line with all of the different priests that were there to hear confessions, right? Uh-huh. And what was the name of the priest that you got to go to confession with for your first confession? Father James Winter. And Father Winter actually grew up in our parish, is that right? Uh-huh. And when you were waiting in line behind your other classmates, what were you feeling? I felt so excited. I kept on jumping, plus I got the hiccups. <laughs> so then the moment arrived when you got to go into the confessional, and then you knelt down. And no, I didn't. You didn't kneel down? Were you in a chair for your first confession? Yep. Okay. And can you move your head back just a little bit away from the microphone? There you go. That's perfect. So you got to go into the confessional, and then what happened? Um, I felt so excited, and then I said the first words of confession. So then things got started, and you were able to confess your sins to the priest. And what happened after you were done confessing your sins? Um... 
the priest gave me advice and um I'm pretty sure next to give me absolution after that, right? Is that supposed to happen after? Yeah. So when he gave you advice, I remember you told me that you were a little bit concerned about trying to remember all of your sins. And did he give you some helpful advice about the sins that maybe you had forgotten? Yes. Um, he said that all the sins that I have forgotten are forgiven even if I don't remember them. So then did that make you feel a lot more confident that you were forgiven of everything? Yes. That even if you had forgotten something that God understands, because he knows that we all forget things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if we really are sorry for them as soon as we remember them. Yeah. And then the coolest part of confession happened after he gave you advice. And you already mentioned it. What happened after he gave you advice? He gave me absolution. What does absolution mean? That's a huge word. What's it mean? It means that God forgives you. So it's God who forgives you? I thought it was the priest who forgave you. Well, they both forgive you, but God forgives you even more. So how does that work if it's the priest sitting there who says, I absolve you of your sins? Who's really doing the forgiving? Jesus. And since the priest doesn't know all my sins, he doesn't, um, I don't know how to say this. <laughs> You're doing great. Because um, you, for- you said all of your sins, and so he's saying that he forgives you. But Jesus is doing the forgiving, right? Yep. So we believe that the priest is standing in for Jesus. But it's awesome as humans to hear the words, I forgive you, I absolve you of your sins, right? Um, when I first was learning about confession, I did not know what absolve means. Yeah, now you know. What does it mean? It means, I'm pretty sure it means to forgive. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. So we believe when you go and you receive the sacrament of confession that it's not just you and the priest in the confessional, but who else is with you? Jesus. That's right. So then after he absolves you of your sins, then you got to pray a special prayer. Do you remember what the prayer is called? The act of Contrition. And what does that mean, contrition? What does it mean to be contrite? It means that you are very, very sorry. That's right. And you also make a promise. A promise to do what? Um. At the end of the prayer, there's a phrase you say to amend your life. What does that mean? To amend your life. To try to do better. Yep, you're going to make some changes to make sure that those sins that you just confessed aren't going to be as big of a problem and have a strong of a place in your life, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, and then after that, he gives you a penance. And can you explain to everyone what a penance is? Um, it's the prayers that help Jesus forgive you. That's right. So you are given some special prayers that you get. You got to come back into the church and you knelt right in front of the tabernacle. Can you explain to everyone what the tabernacle is? 
Um, it's where Jesus in the Eucharist is. And for my second confession, he was on the altar, so I knelt up on the stairs really high up. And I knelt before the altar because Jesus was on it. I didn't know that Jesus was in the monstrance on the altar after your first confession. Well, after my second. I mean, after your second confession. Did that make you feel extra close to him? Yes, it made me feel very close. And I even prayed eight extra prayers. Oh, wow. He must have made you feel so happy to be that close to him. I stared. I stayed there until oh, everybody had their confession and penance. Because you didn't want to leave him? Mm-hmm. That's really cool, Jane. And after you were done praying your penance on the day of your first confession, then who was waiting for you by the altar with a, with a special present? Mommy! Well, I was waiting in my seat, but who did you go to first? Do you remember? Sister Mary Immaculata. That's right, your teacher. And what did she give you? She gave me my heart necklace that I made myself. That was awesome. And she gave you a big hug. And I didn't get to hear what she told you. Did she just congratulate you on your big day? She also said that I looked like I was tumbling over. Because <laughs> she's right. You had the biggest smile on your face when you came back to my to the seat with me. Why do you think you had that big smile on your face? Because all of my sins were forgiven. You were really happy, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also had a big smile on my second confession. I bet you did. It was so big. It was, it was like bigger than my smile right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> you had your first confession just a couple of weeks ago, and then at school last week, you had another opportunity to go to confession while you were at school. So you were extra, extra shiny in your soul, weren't you? Uh-huh. <laughs> Very shiny, 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 shiny. So after uh, we got to celebrate your first reconciliation, we went and we got some celebration smoothies before we went home and Daddy got off work and we Scooters. got... That's right. <laughs> we went to go get some smoothies. And then after that, since it was Daddy's birthday, we had an extra fun celebration and we went out to eat for dinner. And as soon as we got to the restaurant, we walked in and the hostess greeted us, and she said, Hi, are you celebrating anything? And what did you say? We're celebrating my first confession and my daddy's birthday. That's right. So the hostess immediately, without skipping a beat, she said, Oh, where do you go to school? And Jane told her, I go to... St. Joseph. And she told us that she's a mother of six at another parish here in town. And her and Jane talked all about Jane's preparations for First Holy Communion and how excited Jane is for that. They talked all about going shopping for a dress and how exciting. She said that I should put on a tiara. Yep, she thinks a tiara would be good. I want a tiara! (laughs) (laughs) We haven't gone shopping quite yet, so we'll have to see what we can find. But it was pretty cool that Jane was right away talking about her first confession with the first person that she saw. And uh, we had a great dinner with Daddy, and then we came back to the house, and we gave Daddy his birthday presents, and then we gave you your special present. What did you get for your present for your first confession? I got my own holy water font, and I 
I a loved bit, it. A little bit more quiet because that's a little bit loud in the microphone. You can use your normal voice. So you got a holy water fount in your bedroom? Mm-hmm. And who's on the holy water fount? Mary. Mary. And you've already ran out of your holy water in there, haven't you? Yep. We better go get some more, huh? I put it all in there. That's <laughs> awesome. And we had never had one for the home before, so we got one to put by our garage door. So every time we come and go from the house, now we have one for our family that has the holy family on it. That ran out, too. Yeah, we better have you go get some more holy water this week at school, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, Jane, thanks for coming on the podcast to talk about your first confession. I'll have to have you come back on when you have your first Holy Communion to talk to us about what that was like. I'm so excited! <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. I'll have you on again soon, okay? Mommy, can I give you a hug? Yes. Love you, Big honey. Big hug. Okay, so I thought I would talk today about how our family Sabbaths. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the term Sabbath, just means observing Sunday as a day of rest because we have the story of creation in Genesis and even God himself rested on the seventh day of creation. And so as his creatures, his created human beings that are made in his image and likeness, we're supposed to Sabbath as well. But unfortunately, a lot of us have totally gotten the Sabbath wrong and we've forgotten this. And... Today, our family, now that Philip and I have been married for nearly 10 years, we've gotten way better at this. And I would say our typical Sunday these days revolves around going to Mass, having food, and rest. So a typical Sunday these days involves breakfast, Mass in the morning, donuts either in the parish social hall or we go and have donuts at a nearby place or we have brunch out. So today we had brunch with Philip's family and it was awesome. And then after donuts or brunch or donuts somewhere else, we play, we have lunch, we play some more. And then we have perhaps my favorite part of the day, family nap time. And yes, that is a thing and it's amazing. And then we play some more and then we have a simple dinner and I'll talk more about that later. And then we have a family meeting And I'll circle back to that as well. If you're curious about our family meetings, you can go back and check out episode five. Philip and I did a deep dive talking about what our family meetings look like and what they entail. So be sure and check that out if you haven't heard that one already. But where did our desire to have Sabbath be a high priority for us? I think it all goes back to when Philip was still in medical school and residency. Because like the Dowager Countess... We did not know what a weekend was, whereas the Dowager Countess did not know what a weekend was because she did not work and didn't have a concept of the end of the working week. We did not have a sense of the weekend when Philip especially was a resident because he was working so much. We didn't have true designated downtime. So now that he is in practice and life is settling down, we have more or less dependable weekends. He, if I could summarize the complicated schedule that he has, he typically will only work one weekend a month. So as a physician, that's pretty awesome. And now that our kids are in school, we're starting to get a sense of what our commitments look like. And we try to 
decide on what our commitments are going to be by quarters of the school year. And then we have summer as its own season. And we've basically agreed that we're going to have a rule that we are not going to participate in anything on Sundays. We're pretty hardcore about it. So now I have to say our oldest, Jane, she's a second grader. And I understand that this is going to become more and more difficult as the kids get older. And I know we're going to have more extracurricular activities and so on. But (laughs) the possibility of us getting inundated already with activities on Sunday is already there. And we had our foray into the sports world and it went horribly. (laughs) So two years ago, we signed Jane and Walt up for micro soccer and Dorothy was a newborn. She was born at the end of March. She's going to celebrate her second birthday here in a couple of weeks. And um, so she was a brand new baby at the end of March. We signed up for spring micro soccer because Jane and Walt were expressing interest in it. They had a ton of friends that were doing it. And there was a great league through the YMCA and the soccer field wasn't that far away. So we thought, oh yeah, these games are only like 20 or 30 minutes. And then they had a short practice right before the game. So we thought, really, what's an hour on a Saturday? One of them had a game on a Saturday. One of them had a game on Sundays. Okay. The whole thing, (laughs) it nearly killed our family. (laughs) So first of all, Dorothy was a newborn baby. Why we thought it was, it would be a good idea to do sports for the first time when we had a newborn. I don't know, but we were crazy. So there was that. And then we had the commitment happen. It was always right around nap time. And Harry, of course, was still a toddler at the time. And Walt was still in preschool. And Jane was uh, ending her year of kindergarten. So we had a kindergartner as our oldest and we had four kids. And we thought, sure, we can handle this with a newborn. (laughs) No problem. And it was the spring and the weather in Nebraska in the springtime is always tumultuous. So we had crazy thunderstorms out at this (laughs) soccer field that had this crazy walk from the parking lot. And Walt, of course, is terrified of thunderstorms. And there were at least... Three, maybe four of the games got rained out or there was a torrential downpour in the middle of the games for both of the kids. (laughs) And I will never forget one of the days the clouds got really dark and ominous and Walt is all freaked out about it. And then the rain starts and Philip and the kids start running to the car. I wasn't there. I was at home nursing Dorothy because I finally, after a couple weeks in, wised up and got the sense to just stay at home with the newborn. And sometimes Harry would stay <laughs> if it was in the middle of nap time. But anyway, Philip relayed the story. I don't remember how many of the kids were with him and how many were at home with me. But it was Walt's soccer game. There's a horrible thunderstorm that starts up. And poor Walt, who's terrified of thunderstorms, starts screaming, we're all gonna die and starts bolting for the car. And so, yeah, um, micro soccer pretty much killed us that spring. And then after that six, I think it was a six week season, we decided we were done with Sunday commitments. We can handle 
one day of the weekend doing something, but that was going to be it because having even something as little as a micro soccer soccer game on a Saturday and a Sunday was way too much for us. And I know that that sounds silly to those of you who have multiple children doing all kinds of sports and you're running all over the place on the weekend, but we have come to the realization that that is not us, especially not in this chapter of having all of these little people. And especially not when we had a newborn. I don't know what we were thinking. But um, yeah, we will probably never be a big sport family, and we are perfectly okay with that. So for now, our kids are doing, Jane and Walt are doing an art class, Jane's doing piano and American Heritage Girls, and then all three of the older kids are participating in swimming lessons on Saturday mornings. But beyond that, that's pretty much it. And none of them meet on Sundays. We've had a couple of American Heritage Girls fun celebratory type things, maybe on one or two Sundays, but that's it. And then in the summer, the kids are going to participate in various camps. um, And then they'll also, they hope to take golf and tennis lessons, but that's really it. And again, none of those things are going to be happening on a Sunday unless it's an overnight camp where we're dropping someone off or picking someone up on a Sunday, but it's not going to take over the whole day. And the general principle is that we are going to refuse to allow any of our extra activities, whether it's the kids or our own, to stop us from resting and reconnecting as a family on Sundays. So that means that we've had to politely decline invitations that we receive on Sundays, unless it's something that's absolutely necessary. And beyond the bare minimum commitments that we have to mass and keeping everyone fed and clothed, we really don't have any commitments on Sundays. We do once a month with my side of the family get together for Sunday dinners, and we celebrate whoever had a birthday that month. So I, as you might remember, I'm the fifth out of six kids. So all of us adult children, we take turns hosting our Sunday family night dinners. And my parents will host the Christmas and Easter gatherings. But other than that, the kids host. And it's awesome because whoever's hosting, they take care of the entree and then they assign the side dishes and the birthday cake to everyone else. So it's not a huge burden. Yes, it's a lot of work to get the house ready and everything else. But when you have a big family like that, knowing that you have that monthly anchor really stops the guilt from not being able to get together more often, but it makes it a very deliberate time for everyone to get together. So I've enjoyed that. And we also, um, beyond that, I think the other awesome thing about a Sabbath as a stay at home mom, I know, especially early on when I started staying at home, I had a temptation to never get off the hamster wheel of housework because it's always there for me. My office is around me all the time, but I really need that day off. It stops me from feeling like a martyr and it really helps me to be more recharged and ready to hit the ground running on Monday morning. So really beyond keeping everyone fed and clothed, I don't do any housework on Sundays and neither does Philip. Now I will say if it's springtime, And it's a beautiful day. We might go to the nursery and pick up some flowers and plant those because we don't think of that as burdensome work. We enjoy things like that. And 
I think it was a really helpful distinction. I don't remember where I heard it, but to think of any sort of work that you do, if it's something that really invigorates you, that you enjoy, maybe that's gardening for you, then that's awesome and you should do it. But if it's something that feels like work, toil, and a burden, then don't do that on Sundays. I know a good girlfriend of mine, she really enjoys doing her folding of her laundry on Sundays because she will get an uninterrupted window because her husband is at home and for her folding laundry is therapeutic. And I say more power to you. If that's truly what recharges you to feel like you're able to have this mindless task and it's therapeutic to go through those motions of folding the clothes, then that's awesome. If that's truly relaxing and therapeutic for you, then I think that's great. But just keep that distinction in mind of, am I just trying to get more work done to be more productive? Or is this work that I truly enjoy being out in nature and planting flowers? Or maybe it's some other household project that you're really hoping to get to. Maybe you really enjoy painting. I have a friend who loves putting the tape down on all the trim work and putting on a new coat of paint. If that's you, awesome. But if that feels like work and burden and stress, then that's not something you want to do on a Sabbath. So for me, I'm not doing any housework beyond keeping everyone fed and clothed. And when it comes to dinner, we keep it really simple. If it's the winter months, more often than not, we will plan when we do our weekly menu that Sunday night is going to be something from the crock pot or the instant pot or a Dutch oven. And if it's the warmer months, then we'll do a simple grill night and we'll eat on the deck. Um, Otherwise, if we're not doing one of those two options, we'll keep it a really easy recipe that requires very minimal preparation. And if it's a weekend when Philip was working, then we'll probably be picking something up or do some um, eating out somewhere. But with all of our young kids, it's really usually not that enjoyable to go to a restaurant because there are so many more variables (laughs) involved in a restaurant. So it's easier for us to do carry out. And then, as I already mentioned, we like to, at the end of our meal, kick off our family meeting. So if you didn't hear that episode, go back to episode five to hear more details. But I'll just really quickly do an overview of what our family meetings look like. So we try to get the goal of the family meeting is to get everyone on the same page for the week. So we review the calendar And the kids love doing our praise reports when we share why we're proud of one another. And then we do a challenge of the week and we read a story from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And then once we finish up with our family meeting, then we will send the kids to the family room, which is just off the kitchen while Philip and I clean up from dinner. And then once we've put the food away and clean up, sometimes we'll leave the dishes and just go right into the family room to be with the kids. And then we'll finish up watching a show. We'll put the kids to bed. And then Philip and I come back downstairs and we do our own couples meeting once the kids are in, are asleep. And again, our children are young. This will this dynamic will change as they get older and stay up later. But they have a 7.30 bedtime. So we're able to get them to bed, come back downstairs. We open with a prayer. We renew our marriage vows. And then we, again, review the weekly calendar. We do the meal planning and the grocery list together because we found that that helps us to be more accountable. 
to the menu for the week. And then we go through by sharing our praise reports for one another and also discussing our struggles of what we think was not going well from the last week. We review the goals that we had from the previous week, and then we share the new goals that we have individually come up with for ourselves. And then we go on to discuss two domains from a list that Michael Hyatt created. And those different domains of our life include things like um, marital domain, parental, financial, spiritual, etc. And that's a rotating list of those 10 different areas. And we cover two of them each week so that every five weeks we're going through all of the different areas that we're wanting to work on within our family. And once we're done with our discussion and what our goals are for the week, then we hang out for the rest of the night. And it's our goal starting on Sunday night through Thursday night to head upstairs by 930 so that we can either read in bed or just hang out and talk. And then that way we're able to get the rest that we need going into the work week. But we think of Sunday as the first day of the week. And when we're able to get the first day of the week right, then it makes the rest of the week go so much better. And it makes all of us happier. We feel so much more reconnected and rested. And that's what's working for us. But I want to hear from you. What does your family do to Sabbath? Do you have any special traditions? Do you try and tie anything on to your tradition of worship? Do you have something that you do as a family right after you leave mass that makes that whole experience all the more special? As you can tell, for us, that's donuts (laughs) or brunch. Um... But is there something that you do that's really special? I want to hear about it. Please email me at podcast at katherineboucher.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram and tell me about it there. That's all that I've got for this week. Before I go, I have to leave two shout outs. The first one I have is for iTunes user Nurse Mama Becca. I have a feeling I know who you are, Nurse Mama Becca. But she left this awesome iTunes review. She said, I'm a podcast junkie and this one tops my list as the one I look forward to most each week. Exclamation point that's awesome. And then she says, the conversation is fantastic and always inspires me to seek ways to thrive as a wife and mother. Nurse Mama Becca, thank you so much for those kind words. And thank you to all of you who have already left a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm not going to pretend to understand the algorithm or how it works, but I do know that on iTunes and the other places where you listen to podcasts, the podcasts that have the most ratings and reviews are going to get in front of the most listeners. So please keep leaving your wonderful ratings and reviews for while you were folding, wherever you listen to the show. The other pot, um, shout out that I want to give is to Father Robert Mattia. Father Mattia was the pastor at the UNL Newman Center when Philip and I were at the University of Nebraska for undergrad. And he is still the pastor there to this day, and he's doing awesome things. And anyway, the reason I'm giving you a shout out, Father Mattia, is because I was at a fundraiser this week, and I met a wonderful young woman who said that she found out about While You Were Folding from you. 
She said that you listen to the show while you are folding your laundry and while you may not be the target demographic that you are enjoying the show. So I was so excited to hear that and I couldn't believe that you're listening and I just hope you're doing well and I want you to know that you're in our prayers and we're so grateful to you and your ministry and we wish you all the best. All right, listeners, I have some homework for you this week. Three things. Number one, I want to know what your family does to Sabbath. How do you rest? What do you do to set Sunday apart? How do you rest and recharge? Number two, simple Sunday evening recipes. What are your go-to recipes for Sundays? Do you have a favorite roast, a crock pot recipe, something simple? What does your family do meal-wise to keep Sunday easy? And then the last thing summer plans. I would love to hear what your family is going to be doing this summer. Um, I think we're still trying to figure out our general game plan. I like to have a sense of what we're doing before we get into the season because if I don't, before I know it, it's the middle of June and I feel like we're already halfway through summer. So share your summer game plan with me. As always, you can send your feedback to podcast at katherineboucher.com. Find me on Facebook or Instagram, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, don't be afraid to begin again and share what you heard while you were folding.